Amen. Children are dismissed to Children's Church. Kids up to the sixth grade can make your way to Children's Church. We're thankful for those that work with our children's ministries, our nursery, many opportunities for folks to get involved, and we are a wonderful picture of what a church is supposed to be here at Calvary. Not a very small percentage doing a huge percentage of the work, but many, many people uh, plugged in and working. I'd like for us to stop one more time and ask for God's clear involvement as we open his word. Would you bow in prayer with me? Gracious Father, we come to you, many of us with an understanding of the blessings that you have promised, the blessings that we receive when we learn about salvation, the blessings that we receive as we go through something in life and we see the Holy Spirit clearly involved, the blessings that we see when we are able to set ourselves aside and remember Christ, his humility, and his love, we would ask that as we open your word, that we would recognize it as a blessing. Allow us to be good stewards with this wonderful book. And I would request the Holy Spirit be clearly involved in our time as we study now. Would you help us to know you more and to love you more and be more obedient to you because of our time in your word? I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if some of you are like me, you've had one thought over the past few weeks, and that thought is, of course, going swimming. Everybody wants to go swimming this time of year. I actually thought of swimming this past week because we have, um, at the preschool here at the church, we've got just this beautiful little four-year-old girl, and she was telling me that she was going swimming this past week. And I told her jokingly, I said, oh boy, it's going to be cold outside. And she said, no, I'm going to swim inside. She had swimming lessons to learn how to swim. Um, and it was course, of course, it was indoors. And I wondered this morning about you. Did anybody, well, how many of you learned how to swim in some kind of a pool of some sort? Indoor or out, you learned how to swim in a pool? All right, put your hands down. Did anybody here learn how to swim in a lake or a river or a bar? Raise your hand high. Wow. Okay, lots of folks learned how to swim in some kind of a body of water outdoors. I'm surprised by that number. For me growing up, um, I remember when I learned how to swim, but there was a test um, as a youth of swimming. I grew up and we were able to go to a lake to swim called Lake Mingo. And as you would go there and have a good time, there would come a point where you had the ability to swim out to this floating dock the floating dock was maybe 40 to 50 feet um, off of an extended dock there, quite a ways from the shallow section. And you did not venture out there unless you knew you could make it all the way out and you could make it back. So it was quite a step in youth. If you could get all the way out to that dock, you could play out there. You could have a little bit of a smug look like of the other kids that couldn't swim that far and you knew you had arrived but something plagued me over the years because I would drive by, um, someone would drive me by that dock and I would see it and it was always the same distance away from the shore, always. It never seemed to move and as a young person I could not figure out why that thing when the wind came, why it didn't blow it across the lake. Well, some of you already understand why it didn't blow. And when you got to another point of, of you know, status in your swimming ability out there, you got to the place where you could actually go and go underneath that dock and go all the way across it. And if you would go and do that, right in the middle, you would find a chain. 
that had that dock tethered to the bottom. And I couldn't figure out for years how it didn't go away. Perhaps you've driven by a dock similar to that. I know if you go down M24, there's a dock um, quite a ways south of here, but it sits off a ways. And no doubt, that is tethered to something underneath to hold it in place. I want for us today, as we jump into the book of Ephesians, really for our first regular time studying this book, I want for us to keep in mind three truths that we're going to find right here that will help keep us tethered as you run your race in life. As you run the race that God has given to you, there are some things that you need to very, very, with all of your might, hold on to. With regularity, you need to study these things, remind yourself of these things, even teach others whether by word or by your life, of these truths. These truths that if you will hold on to them will help keep you tethered closely to the Lord. The picture there on the slide is of a tether out in space and it's easy for us to understand how that would be so helpful there and the danger in space of not having a tether. Let me go ahead and give you some applications as we start. First of all, let me ask this question. How important is it to have purpose in life? And by that, I mean this. Do you ever find yourself in a place where you're just not sure what your purpose is? Why have I been doing this for the past year? Why have I spent so much effort working on that for a decade? People all across the world are looking for purpose and sometimes we will question ourselves, what's the reason I'm doing this? Did it make any difference? How important is it to have purpose in life? Next, we're going to talk about feeling loved. I would suggest that some of you have spent a lot of time and a lot of effort trying to make someone else love you. Things that, I mean, you never thought you would do. Forgiveness that you have demonstrated and you've worked so hard to make someone else love you. And it's so important God has built us in a way where we need to understand that we are loved. And then also this morning, we're going to talk about security. Talk about security. Maybe you have found yourself in a place where you have sought for security and strength and stability in this area here. And perhaps that failed you. And you heard about somebody and they found security and stability in this area over here and so you gave it a shot and that fell through what happens when we don't feel secure in our lives well i want you to keep those three ideas in mind those key points of purpose and love and security as we turn to our text if you're not already there please turn to ephesians chapter one ephesians chapter one We had a bit of introduction last week, and we covered the first couple verses of Ephesians chapter 1, and now we'll jump right into the meat of this. I'm glad we finished our song service a little bit early. I was doing my preparation and study for this message, and I was uh, well past the time I usually preach just on the first point. So the first point is going to be a little bit, um, it's not going to be as balanced, and so don't get nervous if it's... Um, close to the time when your stomach starts to growl, growl, I should say, and uh, we're only through point one. The last two points will be a little bit shorter. 
Let me review just a little bit and remind us of, of a takeaway that we had last week. As we look at the entire book of Ephesians, and as we look at each of our lives, every one of us is working very hard. If, if you care about God, if you call yourself a believer, you're trying to live in a way where you're walking worthy of the call that you have been a part of. And if you want to walk worthy, you want to be obedient. Last week we talked about this idea that you are, you are not able to be successful at what God wants you to do until you have a good understanding of who God is and what he has done for you. Now, I will tell you that many people will do some work at doing what God wants them to do without that understanding. But the book of Ephesians teaches us, and I want to suggest to you that it will be a short-lived success if you're doing everything right, all the do's and don'ts, shouts and thou shalt nots, if you're doing all of those, it will be short-lived if you don't understand why you're doing it. And there are some that have success right away. An expression that I use every once in a while is borrowed convictions. For young people, borrowed convictions make sense. They will do things that their parents have taught them and require of them. Even for new Christians, borrowed, borrowed convictions make sense because you don't know all this stuff. You just came to know the Lord. And so why would you do that? So you can start to do things without having, without having an understanding, but the book of Ephesians clearly teaches us that we need to know who God is and what he has done and what he has made us. And that's the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And then once Paul hammers that away, then he gets into chapters four, five, and six and tells us what to do. Know who you are, and then he's gonna help you with your marriage. Know what God has made you and turned you into, and then he's gonna help you with raising your kids. Know the incredible character and power and love that God has showed, shown to you and then he's gonna give you help on your job. So this is a bit of a summary of the book of Ephesians. You have to know who you are in Christ and then you can know what to do after that. We find here in verses three through 14 basically a doxology. And I have plugged some singing in. We're going to sing the doxology um, when we get to the end of each point. And so if you, uh, we'll have the words on the screen for you, but we'd love to have you participate in worship in that way. Pretty much verses three through 14 is a song of praise that we find here as Paul writes this. Now, for some of you grammar Nazis, and you know who you are, um, if you go back to the original Greek here, the original language, you'll find a run-on sentence. This sentence here in Ephesians chapter 1 is over 200 words. Now, if you were to turn in an assignment that had over 200 words without a period in it, you would probably get some correction back. I can remember very vividly being in the seventh grade, and I turned in a paper that had a run-on sentence. And the teacher, Mr. Myers was his name, stood up and read my sentence in front of the whole class. You know what lesson I learned? Don't make run-on sentences. Now we find here a song of praise in verses 3 through 14. It's a run-on sentence. They, they added a few periods in the English translation. But really, I think the Apostle Paul was just so thrilled with what God had done he wants to give this avalanche 
of weighty words, very rich words. I've mentioned that leading up to our study. You're going to think that the Apostle Paul has a tendency to exaggerate as we go through this. And we're going to find an avalanche of descriptive words. And so appropriately, I have chosen some very colorful words for my main points. Um, For those of you who are taking notes, it should be fairly easy today. Points one, two, and three. So um, I've made it a little bit easy for you instead of having to figure out what number one is. But I have chosen some colorful, colorful words in those points. And just before we get to the first one, let me say this. God... In eternity past, sat down, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in eternity past, sat down and made this plan. And so the blessings that you're going to see are coming from each part of the Trinity that they decided before the world existed. If you got a bulletin this morning, you were given a little bit of a bookmarker in our office developed these. They're wonderful for you. And there are 10 blessings that are in this passage. And that is for you to take. You can break it down and um, maybe claim them or study them at a slower pace if you like. All these blessings that we see coming from the Trinity, what are they? Well, number one for us today, God's children are immeasurably blessed. If you're a child of God today, if you've been saved, you are immeasurably blessed. Let's look at verse number three. I'll read three through six of Ephesians one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Let's stop right there. The immeasurable blessings that we have come because it was part of God's plan from the beginning, or if I can put it this way, they were initiated by the Father. We see God the Father clearly involved in this first section. And in verse number four, it tells us that he selected us. We know that as individuals that were lost, sinners going our own way, it was not us that sought out God. It is God in his love and in his plan before the foundations of the world that would choose to seek us out. What were you? If you're chosen, if you're saved today, what were you chosen to be? Well, what does the text say? You're chosen to be holy. You're chosen to be blameless. We will spend just a little bit of time talking about this matter of election just a little bit more because very clearly so much of the verbiage that we see here comes through. And the mystery of, and don't miss this, here's the two things that we've talked before about it and you cannot necessarily put them together. It's impossible. The mystery of divine sovereign election and human responsibility, it's never going to be solved in this life. You won't be able to do it. Smarter men than you and I and smarter women than you and I, or than you, have tried to come up with an answer to make that work. And we just cannot make these things fit together. Both are taught in the Bible Both are true, and then don't miss this. Are you ready? Both are essential. 
There's a tendency just to skip over something or not talk about it, and I get that. If I'm not an expert in something, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it. And this confuses even the greatest scholar. Having said that, it is essential for us to understand that both of these exist side by side. Verses 5 and 6 say that we were predestined for adoption. Predestined means marked out beforehand. And remember that time frame. Before the foundations of the world, we were marked out. Now, personally, I think it should thrill you that God chose you. I would think that you would be over the moon excited about this fact that God chose you. And yet some would call God unfair because of this taught here in Ephesians chapter 1, that he chose his children. Maybe some of you are really good at making choices. You know, I'm glad that God gave me a choice to choose who I would spend the rest of my life with, my wife. I'm glad he gave me that. I'm glad he didn't just dump somebody on me and said, you know, well, have at it. No, I got to choose who I wanted to spend time with, who I wanted to be with for the rest of my life. And I appreciate that choice. And yet, some would deny God that exact same right. They're trying to figure this out. They're trying to make it connect. God, you don't have a right to choose who you will spend eternity with is the idea that some would think. And Paul puts this as a blessing right at the top, and I think that's appropriate. It's appropriate that he lists this at the top of all of these blessings. We are adopted as sons and daughters. You're adopted. Who is the only begotten son? It is Jesus Christ. And you and I are sons and daughters of The king, not only has he adopted us, but he has accepted us, the Bible tells us. And so understand this. Uh, Positionally, there is nothing that you can do that is going to make God love you more. I know that's, that's a strong phrase. I'm not telling you not to be obedient. I'm not telling you not to live like someone sent his son to die for you for the rest of your life. But positionally, you can't do anything that's going to make God love you more. You were chosen before the foundations of the world and God's love for you is never going to change because, listen, it's not based on you. Now, please don't run away with this and think that I'm, you know, preaching that you can do whatever you want. If you pay attention to what we say around here, you'll understand that's not the point at all. The point is, is God's love for you is based on what Jesus Christ did. We're gonna see that in the next few verses. It's based on the work of Christ. To more easily accept this doctrine, we need to grasp the point that you're not the center of the world. I know all of you know that, right? All of you know that. You're not the center of the world. The most important person you can think of, they're not the center of the world. The center of the world is God, and we need to grasp that this focuses on God's purposes, or as we just read, God's will. This is all according to God's will. It's mentioned in verses 5 and 9 and 11. It's his will, not ours. We do not influence his decision to save us. He saves us according to his plan. And some would call unfair 
They would call this unfair that God chooses. And some would say this, and don't tune me out. Are you paying attention to this? This is very, very important. Some would say it's unfair because if he chooses who's going to be saved, then he is also choosing who's going to be lost. No, he doesn't. The Bible doesn't say that. We clearly see that God chooses those who will be his children, but you need to be very, very careful, and this is a great, this is a great practice and discipline in your Christian walk. You need to not say that God said something when God didn't say it. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that's a no-brainer, but most of you have experienced individuals that said, oh, well, God wants me to do this, or God insists that you do this, or God's gonna have us do this. Some of you have had the experience of sitting under teaching where somebody said, thus saith the Lord, and when you did your work and opened it up, he didn't say it. Here's my point. You need to be very, very careful that you do not fall into that trap just because God chooses you, if you're a, if you're a Christian today, before the foundations of the world you need to be very careful not to say that God chooses who will be lost. You cannot show me that anywhere. It doesn't matter what version of the Bible you use. That is a teaching called double predestination. Double predestination is not in the Bible, but predestined very clearly is. We need to not add to Scripture. The fact that God knows who, ha- who he has chosen does not preclude any man from coming to him. So this makes us uncomfortable sometimes talking about election, but understand this, just because God knows who he has chosen, it does not preclude any man from coming to him because what did God say in his word? Whosoever will, what? May come. Not one person has ever turned and tried to go to God and got there and God said, sorry, I didn't choose you. You can't come. Sorry, you can't get in. Nobody's ever been turned back. And then one more quick argument, and I think this is where the rubber meets the road for so many people, is in the application in life. If I buy into this this teaching of election that we find here clearly, that God before the foundations of the world chose who would be his children, if I buy into that, then evangelism goes out the window. Now, this is a great, another great test for us as followers of Jesus. When you open your Bible and you study it, you need to always read it in the right context, okay? So reading the scriptures in the right context is gonna be very, very important. Now, with that in mind, who is the author of this book here? It is the Apostle Paul. Who is he writing it to? The church at Ephesus, Who was the individual that evangelized the church at Ephesus? It was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul started this church. The Apostle Paul is teaching election to them. And so election and evangelism are not enemies, but they are friends. They go side by side. And then it says in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious Grace, we truly have been blessed. I'm gonna ask you if you would clear your throat and if you would sing with me as we sing the doxology. Sing the doxology with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here. 
going to stop it right there. I didn't warn you. We weren't going to sing amen the first time or the second time, but we will on the third time. Number two, God's children are unconditionally loved. If you're a child of God today, you are loved beyond measure. I thought about just going into um, exaggeration and going into all kind of adjectives and speech to explain this. You are incredibly, unconditionally loved as God's children. We find this demonstrated in verses 7 through 10 when we read about the blessings that Jesus Christ here, the second part of the Godhead, pours out on the church. Look with me starting in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in time as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's stop right there. So understand, this is not a passing whim that is going on as the Trinity makes this plan. Understand as they come up with this plan of what's going to be involved in it, not a passing whim, but one of the parts of the Godhead becoming part of the human race, being crucified, having the Father Look away from him for a point when he takes upon his shoulders the sins of the world. Understand the incredible measure here. If you're a son or daughter of God today, you have been redeemed. And it wasn't that just God Almighty waved a wand. They did something that was incredibly costly to buy you, to purchase you. When we know that we are redeemed, that should be very special to us. To redeem is to purchase and then set free by paying a price. That's what God did. And we have some colorful language here. Very, very colorful. His grace which he lavished upon us. That word grace is key in this entire book. Grace is unmerited favor. We link grace and mercy together quite often. Grace is unmerited favor. Mercy is us not getting what we should have gotten. And all of you who have grown up in a home and you deserved a whooping or some kind of punishment and you did not get it, that's what mercy is. But grace is when God sought us out and lavishly has given us what we never deserved. That's, that's what Paul is writing from here. He's sitting under house arrest, he's writing this out from an overflow of what he has experienced from God. God lavishly dispensed his grace upon him and upon you and me. God's grace gives us what we don't deserve and it gives us, it gives us so much grace we just can't even begin to describe it. We could not store it. You could not explain it sufficiently to someone else. But can I challenge you with this? Go ahead and begin to try to sing about it in a way that describes it. So many of our songs talk about this immense, incredible, immeasurable grace and love that we have experienced.
And then in verses nine and 10, it says, Jesus will gather us again. This entire book really is centered around the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's sing that doxology again. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Don't sing the amen at the end. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Finally, number three, God's children are securely positioned. When we come to the end of this section, this hymn of praise to God, we find the Apostle Paul very clearly singing back to God through his writings that his position is secure. He gives us that. We are preserved by the Holy Spirit. Look with me starting in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. There we see it again. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Worship is spilling out. Now, understand who the audience is here. It is mostly a Gentile audience. And that's important for us to note as we see that because he references both the Jews who received it at first and the Gentiles who got something that seems to be a little bit different. And yet everyone receives this grace. God has marked us. He has marked you, if you're a follower of his, with through the presence of the Holy Spirit we find the idea of a seal here. A seal back in this day was something that was binding. It would be what a king or a ruler would use, maybe on a ring or on a necklace, and they would drip some wax onto something, and they would seal that. That could not be broken. Very important. We were given that picture to, know, to tell us that we are now entitled. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and if you're a son or daughter of God today, you're entitled to God's riches. What kind of riches? Go back and read. He's not exaggerating at all. Incredible, overflowing, lavish riches that are available for you. And the Holy Spirit's presence, as he says here, guarantees our position in Christ. We find the word guarantee. Gives the picture of earnest, earnest money. I know several of, you, several of you have purchased a home in the past few years. Oftentimes when you're looking to purchase a home, you will go and you will give some earnest money. It's some money that you're giving that says, I'm going to make good on the rest of it. Hold the house for me. I'm going to give some earnest money. And the same idea is there. We find the Holy Spirit being given to us, and this is a guarantee of what he has already said, that it's going to come to completion. Christ is going to take us with him someday. 
And the promise of that is the presence of the Holy Spirit that we have with us right now. And verse 14 repeats, and it says, to the praise of his glory. And so just one sentence for our, or one idea for you to keep in mind as we go through this entire study, and really it's important at the previous verse, in the previous verses, is that Christ is at the center of this passage. All 10 of those blessings, if you got that bookmark, all 10 of those blessings are dependent upon Jesus Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. This is the gospel. I've been talking a lot today using verbiage like if you're saved, if you're a Christian, if you're a son or daughter of God. Jesus Christ came to this world. He proved that he was God. He died on a cross. He conquered the grave. And he did all this so that you could have these incredible riches. If you've never known, if you've never known this wonderful grace, if you don't know what it is to be a Christian or to be saved, let today be the day of your salvation. Accept this wonderful gift that he has made available to you. Christ is at the center of everything that we're going to see here. Now, I always like to give a takeaway, what we can do at the end. But I've set myself up here for failure, haven't I? Because I've said the first three chapters are all who you are, and the last three are what can you do. So the last three should be a piece of cake with the what can you do, right? The first three, what can we do? Well, I want to give you some big picture things that you can do because there's going to come a day when we no longer need to remind ourselves of these. Do you understand that? There's going to come a day where you don't have to work to remind yourself of how blessed you are. There's going to come a day where you don't struggle with security. Some of you inwardly are saying, amen to that. I wish that was here today. There's going to come a day where you do not have to continually remind yourself of how loved you are by God. But until then, we need to work. We need to remind ourselves. And so number one, I want to encourage you to study better the purpose that God has for your life. Study the purpose that God has for your life. And you'll see this all throughout let me just stop real quick and go back to that opening illustration of a tether. In the scriptures, and if you, um, if you study your Bible, some people tend to make notes in their Bible. Some people will even make a line. You'll see a word in one place of your Bible, and later on in the same chapter, you'll see that same word, that same idea, and so get something to make a nice straight edge, and you'll draw a line from that word to that word. You'll tether it together. These three blessings purpose and of love and of security i'm i'm challenging you to make these something that you're tethering to god you're you're making you're having an understanding of these and it's not only going to give you an opportunity to draw a line from these first few verses in ephesians to the rest of the book but if you have an understanding of your purpose in life listen if you understand how loved you are you're going to underline that teaching there and you're going to draw it to lines all throughout the scriptures. His love is all throughout here for you. His purpose is all throughout here. And so the first challenge for you is to know better the purpose that God has for your life. 
And in case I didn't make it clear enough earlier, it's not about you. It's about God. He says it right there in the text. All of this is to the praise of his glory. And we get to be a part of that. And praise God for that. So study God's purpose, which is gonna lead you to understand your purpose in life. Number two, place the love that Christ has for you above any other love in this world. This is one that is easy to say and it is hard to do. Because some of you have worked very, very hard to love on someone or to earn someone else's love. And it's only going to help you with that when you take the love that Jesus Christ has for you and make that, tether yourself to that, make that something that drives all else. Because sometimes the one that you're trying to love on breaks your heart. Sometimes that one in this world that's loved on you incredibly, they'll stop. I hope not. But I can guarantee you, I don't have to use the word hope when it comes to Jesus Christ and his love. You will never, you will never lose the love that Jesus Christ has for you. So you need to study and understand that this love will guide you through everything in your life. And when you think about it, go back to those exaggeration words, if you will, to describe his love. And then finally, I want to talk about security and confidence. Security and confidence. Walk with confidence of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon your life. We sang about this earlier. That song, By Faith, had the Holy Spirit all throughout it. And the, the words in it were so confident. They were so solid. Because it's not based on my skills. And it's not based on your smarts. It's not based on our collective abilities. It's based on what God has said he's going to do. And because of what God has said, you can walk with confidence in this present world. And this is unique to the church age. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, it was different than before. The Holy Spirit is always with those that accept Christ as their Savior. So let me share with you just one prayer request that I pray. I've prayed this for some of you that are here, I've prayed that the Holy Spirit would be clearly recognized in your life. You would not mark something up as being luck. You would not mark something up to being a coincidence, but that you would clearly see the Holy Spirit working. And when you see it, are you ready? When you see the Holy Spirit working, the incredible confidence I do that sometimes. I probably sound a little bit silly when I do it. I'll be around somebody and something just happened and I'm bragging on God, telling a God story and I'll say, don't you try to tell me that was a coincidence. And I get, a little, and I get that loud sometimes too. It's about as loud as I get. I get excited about it. Why? Because what that does when you recognize the Holy Spirit working in your day to day is it's going to give you incredible confidence because if he's in control of these huge things, He's in control of the small things. We submit ourselves to him and we walk forward with our heads held high, not because Jeremy is so great, but because Jesus Christ is so great and what he has done for me. And you know what he did? He laid down his life for me. Oh, how loved you are. Sisters and brothers, how loved you are. And this should give us a confidence as we walk. So the Apostle Paul pens this doxology for us. Let's sing the doxology one more time and we'll sing 
amen at the end. Sing with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Heavenly Father, we look to you. never being able to understand why you chose us. But we thank you for that. We thank you that it was for your glory and in your good plan you have sought us out. And not just for heaven's sake and eternity's sake, but even right here in this world, you give us this so that we could press on. Even while we don't see as clearly, Father, we can press on because of your blessings the love of Jesus Christ, and that we are not alone, but have the Holy Spirit walking beside us. We bless you for these. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Anna to play through just a stanza. If you're here today and you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, just stop right now. Thank Him for the forgiveness that you can experience. Accept Him as your God. Maybe you wanna pray about something else. You struggle with security or feeling loved or having purpose. Take just a moment to pray.